0: Hey, welcome back to Progression, success in the music industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 84. Great episode today. I chat with artist and creator manager and entrepreneur, Sam Sademan. We get into a whole host of stuff like the dangers of hustle culture, the importance of authenticity in your content, having thick skin, doing brand deals, marketing your music via social media, and how TikTok is leveling the playing field between independent artists and major labels. In the interview, Sam also mentions that he likes to keep a macro perspective on things and how that basically keeps you from spiraling out from one bad turn in a project. And I'm not going to steal his thunder, so I'll let you listen to the whole interview for the full lowdown, but I do want to share something that has been helping me keep things in perspective lately. It's a bit macro, or I guess it's a technique to keep you looking at things from the macro. also one of the commitments I've made this year, which is to take reviews more seriously. So every day, I now stop work 30 minutes earlier than I used to, and I review what got done, what didn't get done, and I reassess the plan for tomorrow. One of the hardest things for me to do is to leave my work behind when I come home. I've always had a hard time being present away from work if I didn't get every single thing I wanted to do plus like three or four other things done. But you insert a child and a partner into the family equation and that just doesn't fly anymore. So I think because we're creatives and we love what we do so much, we tend to let thoughts of work linger for way longer than they should. So to solve this, I now spend the last half hour of my day closing the open loops and taking a 30,000 foot view of how the day went. It forces me to leave the mix engineer who didn't finish the last recall chair and take the chair of Travis, the business owner. Because when you're in the midst of various projects, it can be super easy to get overwhelmed, even unknowingly by the amount of work that needs to be done. So what am I doing during these reviews? Generally, I take stock of what still needs to be done. I prioritize those things. I respond to or snooze emails. So I end up with inbox zero. I send invoices and I back up my hard drives. Don't ever forget to back up your hard drives. And by the way, if you're interested, I'm planning on doing a series of videos about my whole review system in the future. So be sure to subscribe to see when that drops. So do you have to do all of those things? No, you can do whatever makes sense for your career and your life. But I promise if you do something, you will reap the benefits. So here's a few of the benefits that I've experienced in my life from doing this. One, I move on with my day with a clear mind. I've closed all the open loops and I am ready to be present in the other aspects of my life, which is super important to me right now. Two, it helps me understand how much work I'm getting done. And with this knowledge, I can then better understand how much more work I could do and how I could best use my time. Three, I start each new day knowing exactly what the priority task or the target for the day is, which results in not wasting any time with that whole deciding what to do thing. So to close it all out, Taking time to review your day will better give you a macro view of what's going on in your full career. Because when you go to work every day as John the Songwriter or Jane the Mix Engineer or whatever, you are the boots on the ground and you can get caught up in focusing too much on the micro details of what is going right or wrong with specific projects. If you step back into the role of CEO of yourself, Inc., you can better understand what is working or not working as a whole. Maybe there are projects you think are moving the needle, but are actually holding you back. Or maybe there's something that you think doesn't need to be addressed because it seems to work day to day, but making a tweak could propel you forward. And you shouldn't just be doing this every day. You should be doing it weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. Like we've talked about before, this industry is all about the long game. So it can actually be really rewarding and encouraging to look back on a full year or a full quarter and see progress happening. So it's taken me a long time to find a system that works for me. I've tried a lot of different stuff. So before we go, let me share one more tip with you. Don't be afraid to dumb down your review process to the most basic and simplest thing that you can make sustainable. Because like I mentioned earlier, it's the act of doing something that is far more important And exactly how you do it. Today's guest is music entrepreneur and manager Sam Sademan. Sam is co-founder and CEO of Innovo Management, where he and his team specialize and work across artist management, project management, influencer management, and brand marketing. Currently, Innovo manages a roster of creators who have a reach of over 43 million followers on TikTok alone. His forward-thinking approach and his innovative spirit has helped him carve out a space as one of the most influential thought leaders in today's creator economy. So welcome to the show, Sam Sademan. Hey, Sam, how's it going? Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. You're uh, you're in Nashville, I think? I am. I've been here since 2014. Nice, nice. I, uh, I always thought about going to Nashville and, and then LA sucked me in and I never left. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like LA. It's a vortex <laughs> here. You try to leave in the yeah. traffic, just keeps you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts about the creator economy. And then I think about like musicians, and they never really call themselves part of the creative economy. Right. And then on the flip side, whenever you do like watch a video or, or listen to a podcast about the creator economy, they kind of leave musicians out. Just curious, since you're kind of in that space and you're also in music, why is that? Is that to a detriment of musicians? Like what what's going on?
1: I think a lot of musicians are skeptical still of short form content, you know. So as a content creator in 2022, it's almost all short form content, right? The creator economy across TikTok, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, Snapchat Spotlights, it's all short form content. And I think most musicians are still somewhat skeptical to the idea of taking this long form art that they spend, you know, Weeks or months creating, spending all this time and money and blood, sweat, and tears on, and then turning it into these like bite-sized, spoon-fed pieces of content. But we try not to think of it as like two separate verticals. They're very much the same thing if an artist can come to terms with the idea of short-form content.
0: I know you were a musician and we'll get into your backstory uh, later, but what do you think it is about musicians where they like, they fight the short-form content thing? Because I mean, even as a podcaster, like when I'm chopping up TikTok videos for the podcast, I'm kind of beating my head against the wall like, yeah, am I doing it right? Do I need to do this? <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's definitely like somewhat of an age curve, I think. Like just the advent of when it became popular, like a lot of us were aged out of it feeling like a natural evolution in our skill sets. <laughs> you definitely had to dig in and like spend a little more time learning. Yeah. But I, I think it's the fact that like our as we know it as musicians or as people in the music industry is so much deeper and longer form than these short form pieces of content and so i think people artists especially struggle with the idea of having to create these like things that don't feel as thought out or as deep um, but i think it's i mean it's just the way the world is moving like you have to do both but yeah i think that's where probably artists struggle the most is like they spend all this time writing this song about something they went through or you know whatever it may be and then they're expected to turn that into like a 30 second video that somehow you know tells that same story
0: yeah well i you know at the same time they songs are getting shorter people don't do bridges anymore like deep down inside they they know that the attention span to grab you know people is short right but yeah i guess uh, people just need to get over that bridge and get into it and that's by the time we're done chatting, I'm, I'm sure they'll all be lining up to uh, <laughs> consider TikTok. They won't be lining up to get on TikTok. Yeah, my,
1: my goal is never to sell TikTok. It's to make people realize the importance of utilizing content to build audiences. So I have so many of these conversations in person with artists or over phone calls, and I never try to sell TikTok in the way of like, after this podcast artists will be using tiktok but you're right i hope that they listen to this objectively and consider using it
0: totally i've been enjoying it now that i kind of figured it out and i kind of like have accepted that i need to participate it is kind of fun to learn something different because you really have to catch people in like the first five seconds first three seconds and if you don't have something in there in, in the beginning to grab people which is hard when you have a song like what do you right i mean even the chorus isn't necessarily enough. There's got to be like, there's got to be something, but we'll get into that. Let's talk about your backstory, how you got into music, how you ended up where you are now. You can, you know, keep it short. You can keep it long, however you like to tell the story.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm an immigrant. I was born in London, England. You wouldn't know by my accent, but I grew up in London. I moved to New York when I was seven, almost eight, fell in love with hip hop music in New York and how there was like so much depth around just the music. there was fashion and dance and art and all these other things that I hadn't seen in music before or at least surrounding music. So I fell in love with hip-hop music. I started like, you know, making my own music and freestyling and parks and getting into like the battle rap culture in new york and and all of that. Um, so, you know, towards my late teens started putting records out and doing that whole thing. My brother's a filmmaker and at the time would shoot a bunch of my content. so there was, you know, it wasn't short form then, but it was, you know, pretty high level for low budget video content in music video form. And then over time it landed on an assistance desk at a indie label in Philly and through a few calls, basically like signed a um what I now understand as like an independent label services distribution deal, where there was, you know, a reimbursable marketing budget. But at the time, I wasn't well-informed on the music business. I didn't know anyone on the business side of the music industry. So I signed it and basically recorded a second project. Money never came. Tried to sue them, you know, the whole thing. So by that point, I had realized that like, or I had lost my love for making music. And I kind of like retreated with my tail between my legs. I felt like I had kind of had my creativity like taken for me in that sense because I had this short period of time to get the second project together. I forced out a project that didn't feel genuine to me and then, you know, spent all this money to get it done and rushed it and put my life on hold in all other facets. And then just like everything kind of fell apart. So realized I was better at the business side always, you know, did all my own marketing and sales and branding, but didn't yet connect the dots of like, you're on the music side of the music industry. There's a business side to the music industry. So eventually I made my way to Atlanta and just was like sharpening my general business background. I worked in like real estate investing. I worked in door-to-door sales for a solar panel company. I did some freelance social media marketing for like mom and pop shops. I was just basically sharpening my general business acumen and just like trying to become better at business, I guess. And uh, through doing that, as corny as it sounds, had an aha moment where I realized there was a a business side to the music industry that wasn't just built on nepotism. And so basically like found my way into that by like transferring and going back to college and studying music business and entrepreneurship. Launched my company while I was in university and then two years later dropped out for the third time. And, you know, I was in school to run my business and the business was starting to grow. So it felt kind of counterintuitive to dig a a deeper hole. If it wasn't necessary, so uh, yeah, left college, and then basically like I worked full time at Sony ATV Music Publishing, and then in the evening at a like two thousand cab venue in Nashville called Marathon Music Works, and then weekends, mornings, late nights was doing Anovo. Through doing that, did some marketing projects as a consultant, and one of them went like super viral, and the distributor reached out and basically hired me. So I left Sony and went to a company called OneRPM, where I was uh, working on the marketing team and eventually moved up to running the US like artist strategy side, and then did that for about a year. And then June 2nd, 2018, went full-time for myself, and the rest is history.
0: That's awesome. So I know, you know now Innovo is artists and influencers and creators. It started as music management, mainly, I'm assuming.
1: Yes, yeah. So I basically moved into music management. It felt like the easiest transition from being an artist because I could empathize with the artist and what they were going through. So we created Innovo as a place to put musicians first. It was essentially an umbrella so we could handle all of the business stuff and they could focus on doing what they do best, which is create art. Over the years, that's transitioned into many other things, but it started as just an artist management company.
0: That's awesome. Now you you kind of mentioned that you you had a lot of like general sales and general marketing experience coming up. Are there things that you took away from that that you think are valuable for independent musicians or up and coming managers to kind of wrap their head around?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing especially for this industry is just having thick skin. <laughs> Nothing prepared me more for having thick skin than having to knock on doors and try to sell solar panels. And keep in mind this is before the popularity of like solar panels and not in <laughs> California. You know, I did it in the Bronx and then I did it in Atlanta for a while and um, try to sell solar panels in the Bronx, right? Like, that's not that's where not are you going to put them, <laughs> right? Where are you going to put them? And also, no one's got that kind of extra side money sitting around. So, and also, it was pretty early in the solar panel like boom. So people were still skeptical of like its long term benefits in terms yeah. of cost savings, but, um, Nothing prepared me more, I think, for the music industry than that experience of like knocking on doors, having people slam the door in my face or thinking I'm a like Jehovah's Witness or all of these different things. So yeah, you know, like coming into the music industry, I was pretty used to like hearing a million no's before I heard a yes. So I think probably that's the biggest like crossover in terms of lessons.
0: Oh yeah, that is so, I mean, the faster you figure out that like failure is kind of, inevitable on the road to getting anywhere is you know that's huge especially in the music industry i mean god it's right it's brutal everybody listening has they've heard plenty of no's on their playlist submissions yeah for sure you know there was a question i was going to ask you later but since we're kind of like near it you did a post on linkedin that i saw recently uh you kind of had a graph of success you know it was like a straight line and it said you know what people think it's like and then then a squiggly crazy line with an arrow yeah uh, and then, you know, the typical, like, what it's actually like. And in there, you said that every win in your career comes with dozens of failures first. You kind of touched on that with the getting no's and door slammed in your face. Is there something that you do to this day that when you suffer one of those losses or a failure or frustration, where you immediately turn that into a positive or a learning experience? How do you digest those where they're not defeating?
1: I think... Um... You asked me three or four years ago. The answer probably would have been different, um, but I think I've like really f- spent the last two to three years focused on like bettering myself, both mentally and physically, and like getting more mental toughness, which is necessary in this space. I think for me, it's perspective over anything else. Like I am such a macro person, so I don't really like get worried about the the micro nose. Like those are those in the general. Landscape of your music career pretty inconsequential. So I I'm very good about or very focused on. If I get a no, I zoom and I'm feeling frustrated about it. I zoom out and I look at the big picture and I and I realize like, well, okay, this publisher doesn't want to set up a co-write with one of their clients. What does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? We're not writing with that writer. Moving on, you know, That's like it. <laughs> yeah, it sucks, but like, how many writers songwriters are there in the world? Like, so. I think for me it's like really zooming out and trying to focus on the macro big picture. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but that's where I see social media go so wrong for artists is they start to like expect a certain engagement from one singular post because of how previous posts or their previous experiences make them feel or think. And then things don't always perform at the same level or you know, things change, whether it be new algorithms or the way, you know, the content is or time of year, whatever it may be. And artists sometimes can focus so microly on like post by post mm. that they forget like if you zoom out and look at the actual tangible growth of followers, it's always going up if you're posting frequently. The individual post engagement might look a little more up and down, but the actual long term growth is is always growing if if you're consistent. So I always try to zoom out.
0: I think that's great advice. Everybody should write that one down and, and go back and listen to it. Cause yeah when you put everything in perspective, I mean, even wins, you know, if you put a win into perspective, you might be putting too much weight on, you know, that one song that landed a great playlist, and that's just gonna turn into a letdown later if you've really honed in. So I think perspective is really, that's a great way to approach failure and and moving on and, and flipping the script on that, so. So let's get into TikTok, social media, Specifically, let's do TikTok a bit because it's like the hot topic, right? If I say TikTok five times, my podcast is going to trend TikTok, TikTok. (laughs) It seems like the last, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the last place where organic reach is possible. Like even I feel like Instagram reels in the last couple of weeks, we're recording this in uh, late October, have totally changed. Like my views have just like dropped off to like nothing like I just started. Right. Is TikTok the last organic place left? Is it organic? I
1: think there's still some organic stuff left on Instagram reels and on YouTube shorts, but yes, TikTok being the major priority there. I think that it's important to realize like with a place like Instagram, it's gated because it's owned by Mark Zuckerberg. And if you're not spending add dollars to daddy Zuckerberg, then things aren't going to happen, you know? So that's kind of how I look at those platforms and TikTok eventually will be that. And artists who are just waiting for, I don't know what the apocalypse to happen in terms of music marketing, the longer you wait with TikTok, you won't always have this upside. Eventually it will be gated because why would they not monetize it in those ways? But right now the major benefit is it has an unlimited upside. It's leveled the playing field between major label artists and baby artists. If you're consistent with creative content that fits for TikTok, you will grow. And it's just a fact of the matter. You will find your community if you're consistent, you spend time on the platform, and you post creative, well thought out pieces of content. So I do think it works as well for Instagram reels. And I know what you're talking about, because I repost, like I'll shoot something not on either platform and then post on both. And then on Instagram it will, like one video will get 7,000 views and the next one will get three views. And I think that's Instagram still trying to figure out how they can like weaponize reels to like be a competitor with TikTok. So like they're prioritizing it and pushing it out. But then you're right, like the ebbs and flows are crazy compared to other platforms. But I do think it's like I kind of use the analogy and I was just, I just had coffee with a, another manager this morning and we were chatting about this. And one analogy I like to use is like not utilizing TikTok to promote your music or your brand would be like putting music out only on SoundCloud. Like you wouldn't do that, right? Unless you were like a DJ and you were doing remixes, like you wouldn't just put your music out on SoundCloud, you would distribute to all of the DSPs. So why would you not utilize all of the platforms to reach people,
0: Yeah, you know? Yeah, totally.
1: That's how I look at it.
0: If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Something you mentioned that if we can go back to when you were talking about TikTok, you said fits the platform. Do you kind of give your team and your, your artists kind of like direction like, hey, this is something that feels like a TikTok. This is something that feels like Instagram Reels. Are you guys... Splitting things up like that, where you're kind of platform specific with content?
1: Yeah, but I think like it's not necessarily platform specific, it's like content style specific. So, what I mean by that is like I personally believe that the same content that works on TikTok also works on Instagram Reels. So, it's not so much like different style of content for Instagram and for TikTok, for Instagram Reels and TikTok, but it's more so like short form content versus like longer form. Like, I personally wouldn't post like a TikTok video on my Facebook page or on, I don't know, Twitter, right? But like right. specifically for short form content places like TikTok or YouTube shorts or Instagram reels, I think they can cross pollinate nicely and you can utilize one piece of content for all three. But yeah, we're, we're always working with with our clients to like help shape and educate. I think the biggest thing if I were giving an, any artist listening like advice on how to utilize short form content, the biggest mistakes that I see with it is, when you try to create short-form content by just like taking a music video and chopping it up into like a 15-second bite-sized piece, like it's too professional of content for the platform. It needs to be authentic. The, The consumers on a platform like TikTok that's so Gen Z heavy, they're the first generation that runs away from advertisements. If it feels like an ad, they're not interested at all. So it has to feel organic and native to the platform. So whether that's like a selfie video talking to the camera or it's concert footage from a cell phone that's, you know, a little less professional and edited and, you know, then you're putting text over it or whatever it may be. It just has to feel organic and authentic to the platform and DIY because that's what people are attached to. And it's all narrative these days.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, two professional I never thought about that you can fall into like the perfectionism circle where you're like "Oh, i want to make sure this is you know looks really clean right but yeah i never thought about almost being less professional with posts but you said the diy thing and it almost made me think about like you know the punk rock like zine thing that was going on when i was in like middle school like everybody wanted to make a cassette with no label and print you know their own little thing to go along with it and sell it out of their backpack. And I guess it, yeah, it's a Gen Z's version of that. It's uh, yeah. Right. So how can artists implement TikTok into their release strategies? I know I've seen a lot of stuff going on with, you know, just like reposting the same piece of a song that's about to come out with like sometimes with like text or graphics, like are there things that work? Are there things that have become cliches? Do you have any advice for people there?
1: I do for sure. I think firstly, before you get into like specific Types of content buckets. Stick to narrative as much as you can. People want to feel a part of something. It's it's not just TikTok. This is just general life advice. People want to feel people want to feel a part of things, right? They want to feel like a, a sense of community in anything. So when you're making music, most artists who are making music are making it with the hopes that people empathize with those lyrics or sh- have a shared experience, right? and know what they're going through or or help someone else go through the same or similar thing. So, the same thing with content. People want to feel a part of a community. So create pieces of content that fit in a, a community that you feel you're a part of. So narrative is huge. And I think like authenticity outweighs everything on the platform. People smell through the bullshit. And I think like with storytelling on a platform, you have to have a hook pretty quickly like you were saying earlier, like the way people engage on TikTok, it's like vertical Tinder, right? They're swiping upwards, like nonstop. And so
0: it's, vertical it's... Tinder.
1: <laughs> I just coined that's, that on the spot. That's good. They're swiping through so much content, right? They're lying on their couch, just swiping away. And uh, if you don't hook them immediately, they're swiping right past. So one of the big things for like how TikTok pushes your content out for more cold or warm audiences on it, is rewatch time. So what percentage of your video is being consumed? Is it 200%? Some Like the average viewer watched it twice, or is it 12%, right? That tells mm-hmm. TikTok like how engaged or how interested people are in the content. So if you don't hook people quick, then your watch time goes down and thus you're probably being pushed out to a lesser degree on the for you page. So back to the original point, I kind of went on a tangent. Yeah. Narrative I think is huge you know, there's obviously like so many different styles of that, but like take something that's working on the platform and make it your own. Like Mm. we've all seen the car selfie video where it's like attached to a, like, have you ever felt this way? Here's my new song about blah, blah, blah. Well, there's so many artists who've taken that idea and turned it into something else. Like John Harvey, who's like a dude in Nashville who blew up from TikTok and he did a piece around like same thing, but a cop pulled him over because his song was so good. And he had like a cop pull him over and it was him in the car vibing to the song. And it was a similar style, but he just made it his own, or like in a more hip hop style, like uh everyone does the if I featured on videos where it's like they'll take a Nicki Minaj track, add like a just like a blank verse, and then they'll put their own verse on it. So they're attaching to like a moment of someone else's and showing what they can do as well. But there's an artist named Biddle, B I D D L three who did the same thing. But instead of like, if I featured on, it was sneaking into Nicki Minaj's studio. And then it was like her going to the bathroom. And then he like pokes his head around the corner. And then same thing. So it's the exact same content. It's just told in a different way. Yeah. Right. And I think that's huge. Like I tell every artist, spend significant time on the platform before you ever start posting or planning. Spend time on there, see what other people are doing, sift through hashtags. After spending significant time and actually paying attention, you'll very quickly realize what works and what doesn't on the platform and then just take those buckets and make them your
0: own. Yeah. So you're saying people should do research? <laughs> yeah. Research <laughs> is uh, a necessary evil. So you got to do your homework? Yeah. That's really interesting. That made me think about uh, like collaboration and there's stitches on TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. And duets. And duets. Have you seen a lot of artists like make genuine connections that way? or, or? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah.
1: I had a client who was like a producer as much as he was an artist. And he found this girl who was like singing this, just like acapella thing in her bathroom, like with a crazy ver- reverb. And he uh, posted this, he ripped the audio and basically turned it into a remix, but he posted this video around like, I found this girl, she's dope. Here's her singing, blah, 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 blah. And he built this like little like narrative love story kind of thing around the vocal and he just teased a bit of the song but like told the story of how he got it and what he did and she found it it went viral got like over two million views she found it she had like way bigger following on the platform and as an artist in general she reacted as a duet to it and then he dropped it the next day and then she did a duet to that and then there was some chatter privately about putting the song out together which never actually happened but like he gained 60,000 followers on platform overnight and like all these crazy eyes went to you know like it just the power of TikTok is insane and people want to feel a part of something so he did a great job of like finding something that he loved and other people loved and and built something that provided value to that community
0: that's awesome that's really cool speaking of releasing music have you been in a lot of situations where something pops off on TikTok and has to get pushed out ASAP
1: yeah yeah it, I mean, it definitely happens more and more um, yeah. these days, but I always try to start seeding the content like around already a planned release date. So I'm not running around with my head cut off trying to like <laughs> push the date forward. But like this didn't go viral per se, but it's a perfect explainer of like the power of TikTok without necessarily chasing a viral moment. My client, Danny G, put out a song in April called Participate. He posted a TikTok like skit video because he has a following on TikTok for like sports skit humor, but it's not music related. And um, he posted the skit around the song and it got like 150,000 views or something like that. So it did well, but it didn't necessarily go like viral in the truest sense. But it allowed us to like heavily, heavily lean into like TikTok lives and start like building this anticipation in this like smaller community. And we managed to get like a thousand pre-saves through doing that. And then I was able to use my relationships and go to Spotify directly and say, Hey, there's a thousand pre-saves. Here's a video with like a hundred, whatever it was, 150, 180,000 views. And they supported it on like Fresh Finds and Fresh Finds Hip Hop, you know, editorials. And that was just because of the data points that we could prove to them and show them. And the song came out in April and we did like a sold out Nashville release show around it. But like, it's getting more streams today than it did in April with editorial. Then it's not getting editorial now. There's no TikTok push happening around the song now. Right. But the Spotify radio has now picked it up on the algorithms, and it's doing like fifteen thousand or twelve thousand streams a day right now, six or seven months after release, just because there was all this data that came to them and rushed in, and then the save rate was super high. The re-stream stuff was super high, like re-listening and all the, like all the data was telling Spotify like you've got to push this out to more people. So that's a great example of like one that didn't even go viral but leveraged the platform data to make other platforms care.
0: That's very cool. You know, I don't know the best way to phrase this question. Everything's so algorithm based now, right? You talk about like Spotify pushes a song, the algorithm picks it up, you're getting your save rate. All all those backroom data points that most artists don't pay attention to. Is this good for music? Or is it, if something pops off organically and is like near the point of viral and the algorithm grabs it, that's obviously good for music. But do we want a world that the algorithm is in charge of? I guess it's a, not really a question, but just a thought.
1: Yeah, I wrote a piece for Hypebot. Okay. And the title was, the algorithm doesn't owe you, but it definitely owns you. And it's kind of that same thought process, right? Of like, this is just the world we live in. Like, yeah, I hate to be like the villain of that for artists because no one likes to hear that. But like, this is the world we live in. So like you either do it or you don't. And that's your choice. And like, if you don't, then figure out other strategies to do it. But it would certainly be a lot easier if you did do it for your career success and like trajectory. What I will say is like, this is no different than 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's just different issues, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. During the vinyl days, there were just different data points that they were chasing and artists were having to like stand behind record sales, you know, as like if they felt naked or powerful, right? Or what have you. And it's the same thing now with your Spotify showing your stream counts or TikTok showing your view counts, like just a different medium and different platform. But I think there's always been some sort of data or algorithm that an artist has to play, you know, play the game
0: yeah yeah no totally true do you um as as a manager of artists are there data points that you feel really strongly are important to building a career
1: yeah i mean i think organic streaming is huge like what i mean by that is like there's no budget spent yet to like get it to new organic audiences like there's no like third-party playlisting or digital ads or Spotify marquee or Spotify ad studio, all that's great. And every artist should be doing as much of that as they can in the right ways. But like as a manager, if I'm deciding if I'm going to be interested in an artist or I am trying to latch on to like what's working with my clients or what isn't like, I'm not necessarily paying attention to that as much as I am what's happening organically and how the people who are organically coming here or like coming from our socials, are engaging with, with this music. So save rates are great. Follower growth on Spotify is something I pay heavy attention to. Obviously we can't really see like what percentage of a song the average listener is listening to obviously Spotify can though, but I, I try to look at like follower graphs every day on Spotify, save rates and listener and stream rates. And there's now a new thing on Spotify for artists. That's like a shows you like your audience graph between like, Total playlist ads on like a period of time, as well as like listener to stream ratio. So, like the average listener streams like three songs, you know, of viewers Mm -hmm. a month or what have you. So, I think all of that is important. Same thing with social media, but again, I try not to focus too much on the micro and much more on the macro. So, setting like monthly, quarterly, biannual, and annual KPIs and then chasing those.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, I'm going to kind of shift over. To a hard change. I know you do a lot of uh, a lot of work with creators and influencers now, and also matching brands with them. Um, can you share anything in that space about like if you're a newer artist or a newer creator, are brand deals an option for you? You know, if so, like what can you expect to be doing for what kind of payment? Or because I know my listeners basically probably know very little about this space, so whatever you've got, I'd, I'll, I'll take.
1: Totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to share as much or as little as you or your audience wants. So it's always a tough juggling act to determine like when to start taking on brand deals, right? Because there's tons of brand deals that look for micro influencers, and that's like 10k to like let's say 50k followers on platform or 10 to 100k. And there's plenty of deals that are like targeted towards that area like on our exclusive management side for influencers, we typically don't sign under 1 million. The reason being is I don't like to, like I think that if an influencer is actively promoting brands too early, they can really hinder their growth because mm-hmm. the growth should be somewhat organic. And the more you advertise naturally, the less organic engagement you're getting, right? So yeah, I am usually pretty cautious of like my influencers not promoting products or brands until the audience behind them are actual genuine fans of them, not just like fans of one video that went viral and gave them 20,000 followers. Cause I think that's important. And also if you're influencing people to go purchase a product, you want them to be fans of you, not just fans of a previous video. Otherwise they don't, they don't care about that. So yeah. I think that's huge. Obviously it's like so different platform to platform, but our bread and butter on the brand deal side is TikTok. And we have like somewhere around, 12 to 20 exclusive management clients on the TikTok side now. There's been some shift in the last week, hence why the range (laughs) is so wide. And um, then we have like a non-exclusive rep side that we call Priority Influencer. And that we have like somewhere between 60 and 75 creators. And that like we're not representing them, but we're able to bring them deals at a certain rate and certain commission structure. So we're not commissioning everything, but we're commissioning things we bring them. And it just alleviates a huge weight off our back when we're running brand deals from the brand side. And we need to get creators quickly in a certain niche. We mm-hmm. have access to these like seventy odd creators before oh, we yeah. have to go cold source creators. So but rates range, and there's so many factors. like timeline is a huge part, your affinity to the product or brand. like if you if you drink Starbucks every day and Starbucks is contacting you to promote, you're probably more willing to promote Starbucks for less money because you want to be a part of that. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas if I'm a Starbucks drinker and someone's trying to get me to promote David's tea, you know, or whatever, like tea I'm probably less interested in anything but higher pay. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Timeline is a huge thing. Like how fast do I have to get this video in? Um, and then like a bunch of more like nerdy contract stuff, like usage rights, Like, are they getting the right to like repost this content on their socials? And then that's organic usage rights. And then you have paid usage rights. Like, are they able to run ads on your video or post it and then run ads from their side? And then like, you've got exclusivities, like, are you allowed to promote another coffee brand for the next 30 days or what have you? So we base our pricing like on a variety of things. That's crazy. It's certainly not just like make a price up. I would bet that there's a lot of people who do do that, but there's quite a bit of like thought behind why we're pricing things the way we are.
0: Yeah, I never thought about any of that stuff. That's really fascinating. Is it like, you know, who's got more of a say when it comes to like the actual video? Like you're going to an influencer for their brand and their character, right? but then you're the one paying, it's your product. I mean, you got to come to some kind of like agreement on it.
1: It's always always the the (laughs) age-old debate right there. So typically how it works is like a brand or an ad agency or whoever it is, it's like in communication with us, is sending a creative brief. That brief has like a, we are doing this product and we want you to like do this thing, right? Sometimes it's very specific, like at the seven-second mark, take a sip of your coffee, then say yum, then blah, blah, blah. Those videos will always underperform, right? (laughs) Because A, they're straight up advertisements and corporate feeling. Two, they don't align with each individual influencer's organic content styles. So when we're running campaigns for brands, we always try to like take what they need, like what's the macro goal here, and then turn that into a like something that gives the creator space to like make it their own, you know? And so I think those are the campaigns that most of our creators are more interested in. Like stuff that doesn't have a script, but it's like, hey, we want you to promote this arcade game right and then they can do it by like if i make this half court shot you know you've got to download this app and do this thing or you know if i whatever someone's telling a story while doing their makeup like much more organic content than like go play this arcade game and whatever you know so yeah i think that's a huge part of it it's just there's always a creative brief but how thought out was the advertiser in that understanding of like organic content is always going to
0: outperform oh yeah and, you know it goes back to the auth- authenticity that you mentioned before people can tell like something is inauthentic and if you can present a product to somebody in a way that's like really entertaining and feels like that person it's like at the end where you're like was that an ad did they tell me why right. to, to buy that or totally. or not and um i was listening to a podcast actually this morning and there's something there was a phrase in there reputation first revenue follows or i you know, it was basically that. Yeah. And I think that really applies to everything you're talking about. Like, you've got to have an established brand and a persona that you're going to stay true to. Yeah. And then you can really cash in on what works for your brand. But people have to... Right. They have to believe you and become like, you know, the fan that you mentioned. Totally. Okay. So I want to just tag a couple articles that I found this morning in my, my research. You did a piece for Adweek about how brands have kind of changed their approach in the post-COVID world. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, yeah. In there, you said, today's successful social media voice is no longer a means to get eyes on advertisements, but rather to cultivate and develop brand advocates. And it's the last bit, uh, which actually kind of ties in what we were just talking about with reputation and, and brand. Yeah. That I wanted to chat about. Do you have any advice for artists, producers, engineers, anybody in the music creation world where they can use some of these concepts that advertisers have switched over to, to turn their own, you know, fans and and clients into advocates. Cause that's really what you want is you want everyone who works with you to be an advocate for you.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I do remember that piece. um, And it was actually co-written with my brand sales manager on my team, Matt Smith. So I just want to shout him out if we're talking about that piece. Yeah. That what you're talking about there specific to musicians, I feel like it goes back to that like community aspect, right? Like we talk a lot in that article about when brands try to oversell rather than just like focus on what makes them like unique or build a community around them, they fail, right? Like if you look at Duolingo is like the perfect example, right? They, they're not pushing their, their language training software or whatever. I don't even know what truthfully what Duolingo do. Neither do I. But their whole brand, they have a huge <laughs> social media presence and it's because of that OWL they built a whole personality around their owl and if you go to tiktok it's like a sassy funny content that goes viral all the time and it just puts them in the right place to like be retargeting and focused on like getting you know more people to like look into what they do from an interest level rather than a sales perspective so i think it's the same with artists and and artist managers like i try not to pitch my clients to labels or to agents or to publishers let that stuff come because leverage is your best friend and if you're pitching you have none of it and if they're finding you everyone wants to discover stuff so if they're finding you then you have leverage so it's like trying to find a way to build a community around what you're doing and making people feel a part of that and then using that as a way to like net in these industry people who yeah. also want to be a part of that or see that as value
0: yeah it's come up so many times on the show leveraging you know current success to, you know, don't go begging publishers for deals and like knocking on every door. You're just going to get bad deals. You're going to get predatory managers. Like just sit there, wait, wait for everybody to come line, line up. Yeah. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So last bit before we get into our last closing questions, another piece that you wrote, which is something that I think my audience would be really into. And it was called, uh, health is wealth, how to move away from hustle culture. And I talk a lot on this show about how, you know, like I'm an engineer. I sat like 18 hours a day for like 10 years and like had all these pains and like now I exercise and like I have mental clarity. Do you wanna touch on your experiences with that in the music industry?
1: Yeah, totally. And I kinda touched on it a little bit earlier when I was talking about like the way I would have looked at something two or three years ago. Yes. Hustle culture is extremely dangerous and it's extremely dangerous for young entrepreneurs. And as an artist listening to this, you are an entrepreneur. It's your business here and you're a business owner. So when I say young entrepreneurs, I'm also talking to the artists, listening to this hustle culture is extremely dangerous. And when I started my business, I believe that if I out hustled, I would outgrow, right? I would, I would grow faster than others if I hustled and, and while of course, more time typically equals more outcome or output, you burn out if you're not careful. And I did burn out and you know, there was a point in my career where I was working easily a hundred hours a week between full- time jobs part- time jobs and trying to run the business. I was burning the candle at both ends, attending networking things in the evenings, being at the office at six or seven in the morning, smoking a pack of Newports a day, drinking in the evenings at the networking events, eating fast food on my drives between meetings because I didn't carve out lunch, sleeping like shit, and you know i gained a lot of weight and i formed a bunch of bad habits and eventually you burn out and i talk about that a lot and i'm super transparent about it because while that was me then that isn't me now and i think that's like something to sit with for every artist is like you are not defined by these things that you've used as coping mechanisms you're defined by who you become and who you continue to become and for me i you know i didn't date for years i didn't like hang out with friends for years and you know now i'm in a long term relationship and we just bought a house together and i climbed out of debt and lost a bunch of weight and quit smoking cigarettes and i tried very hard to keep my hours like as early as about 7 and as late as about 6 unless i'm attending networking things or what have you and or it's like a really important thing and you know having clients and a team that Respect that and understand that I think is key because you can't be your best for others if you're not your best self so Hustle culture in that world is extremely dangerous and I think it's important to realize it's not necessarily how long you work, but working smarter Out innovating people that type of um, strategy.
0: Yeah, I agree. Totally. I feel like you described most of my 20s (laughs) I think something that people are afraid of is that that people won't want to work with them if they put up the boundaries of like, Hey, I don't work past six. And right. I think once you start doing that and you're like, Hey, I don't work on Sunday anymore. And people are like, what the fuck? And you're like, well, I stopped. And then eventually yeah. they're like, Oh yeah, Travis doesn't work on Sundays or, or Sam doesn't yeah. work on, on Saturday or whatever it is. It's like, once you experience putting those boundaries up and see that people will respect them and also be like, Oh yeah, he works out in the morning or whatever. He takes care of himself or she takes care of him herself. Um, yeah just try it. Just try throwing some boundaries up, yeah. with your clients and i th- I think people will be happy,
1: yeah, and I think there's the right time in your career to do it, right like obviously, yeah. like I know that sounds stupid, but like if I put those walls up too early, it could have been detrimental, perhaps like i I understand that devil's advocate of like if I were like not willing to put the hours in maybe at the beginning, it wouldn't have, you know, but yeah. eventually, like you have to put yourself first. And that's not being selfish. That's just like if anything, that's being selfless. Because if you're better, then everything else around you becomes better, right? But I totally agree with you. And like, I try not to work on weekends. But of course, like as a manager, like if there's amazing opportunities that come up, I'm still looking at my emails. I may not be replying to every single one, but I'm still paying attention at the bare minimum. And so, you know, if something comes up that needs me, of course, I'm always around for my clients and for the opportunities. But you know, I'm not opening my computer. You know, I'm on my phone if I have to be, and that type of thing. And I'm not going to the office anymore on the weekends. I'm, if I have to, I'm just popping in my home office or whatever it may be. But just setting some walls up to like let yourself reset and focus on things outside of work. Like I play soccer still, and uh, it's the only time I put my phone away and don't think about work in my whole life. You know, and that's a beautiful time and a special time and yeah my clients respect that and understand that and i'm I'm grateful that they do because it's necessary to me being my best self
0: yeah especially if you're creative like you need to live like you're a songwriter and you're not experiencing anything what are you going to write about in your three sessions a day seven days a week right sam this has been awesome i got three questions that i end the show with one's a quick and easy one is there any music that you're really into that you think people are sleeping on and what's on your playlist one artist or album or something what oh man i just want more people to listen to music
1: yeah yeah for sure man i jump around so much i'll plug one of my clients because i think that's my job do it (laughs) (laughs) around the time of this podcast coming out my client sammy adams will have his new ep out it's his first independent ep in about 10 years so he was with rca for a while and then some indie labels it's his first independent ep in 10 plus a year so first singles this friday october 28th and then there's one in november one in december a december tour one in january and then the ep early to mid-february so sammy adams the ep is called good problems and it's pretty diverse uh palette of pop hip hop and kind of electronic music so i'll plug that for today's podcast
0: Sounds dope. Um, so the last two traditional questions to the show is, uh, was there ever a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you?
1: Yeah, we just kind of spoke about it with like hustle culture. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was pro- that's probably the one that stood out the most to me in terms of like, just like something that was like, had a clear, like I was doing this, this is how I felt and looked and acted. And then I'm now doing this and this is how I feel, act and look. So I think moving away from a hustle culture approach and moving into like a self-care approach is my answer there.
0: Love it. Love it. I agree with you. And then last question, what is your current biggest goal that you can share with us, of course? And what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it?
1: Love it. I think I'm very focused on like social entrepreneurship, always looking for ways to give back. So like part of the story that I didn't fully share in my upbringing is like, I come from a lower middle-class family, you know, had some times of homelessness and evictions and everything else growing up, which informed the way I've acted as an adult with building a business. And I'm always looking for ways to give back and find ways to like do more for the community and the people around me. So I think for me, it's like just continuing to get to a place where I can help more people. The larger the business grows, the larger I as an entrepreneur become the more people I'm able to help in my journey. And I think that's paramount to why we exist on this planet. So in terms of my macro goal, continuing to build my platform so that I can use them to help other people. In terms of small steps, I guess just
0: showing up to work and trying my hardest every day. It's good. It's good. Take (laughs) take the macro view, you know? It's like the thing about progress and, and habits is it's like you can't tell that it's working until you look back at it. Which I think is right. you know the frustrating thing for a lot of people. That's why they totally change their mind. But Sam, this has been awesome. Please share with people where they can find you if they want to get in touch with you or any of your other artists or yeah any clients or whatever. this is your little moment here.
1: Cool. yeah, feel free to tap in with me on all platforms, but I'm most active on Instagram and probably TikTok. Both of them are Sam the manager underscore. So you can chat with me there, slide in the DMs. I always love to talk about uh, music or business or anything and always down to chop it up. In terms of clients, on the music side, I'm repping Sammy Adams, Jonas, and Danny G. Hopefully, that's still the case when this podcast comes out. (laughs) (laughs) On the influencer side, there's so many, but I'll shout out Naomi Arbide, He's a great beauty creator in Las Vegas. Uh, Marley Arnold, who goes by Mask Dance Tutorials, who's a dancer in Florida, yeah, and then Danny G, who does both music and influencer, series on both sides of the company.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll make sure uh, there's links in the show notes to as many of those things as I can find. Sweet. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a lot of fun. I think people got a lot out of this. And uh, yeah,
1: yeah, likewise. Appreciate you having me.
0: So that's it for episode 84. Thanks to Sam Sademan for coming on the show. Thanks to all of you for listening. And remember, the most supportive thing you can do for the show right now is to subscribe to it in your podcast player or on YouTube or on both if you're into that kind of thing. Also, sharing it with a friend is huge. I'd greatly appreciate it if you would just consider texting this episode to one friend that you think would enjoy it. And finally, thanks to my editor, Stephen Boyd, for another killer audio edit on this episode. So I will see all of you next week.